Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford and I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the, the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another city around the world. This week we traveled to Spain and I was able to sit down with an academy director in Spain who runs a residency soccer program there and I found this, the conversation particularly interesting because not only does he have Spanish players but he also has promising youth American players who have migrated to Spain live there live in the residency program learning the language going to school and of course training and so he was able to give us some insight on what their experiences are like and then next, in the next episode, we're traveling to the Congo, which, was, again, was an also very fascinating um, interview because I, quite frankly, am not familiar with the Congo, Congo in, in great, great detail. So not only were we able to dig deep into um, Congolese soccer, but the coach also has spent considerable time in the state, so he was able to juxtapose both systems and so I look forward to you guys hearing um, our episode in the Congo. And if you're not familiar with Anytime Soccer Training, um, Anytime Soccer Training is a website we created that will host over a thousand one hundred percent follow along soccer training videos that cover all the areas of individual skill development. Uh, if you haven't seen the product, that may not may or may not mean much to you. But as a parent trainer, what it means is I have something on my phone, which is a tool um, that allows me to work with my sons in various areas of soccer by just hitting play. I have a 2013. I have a 2010. A 2013 juggling record right now is 14 or 15. A 2010 juggling record right now is in the high 2000s, almost 3000. But both of them are able to use the product. Um, and then as a parent trainer, I didn't want to flip through different um, systems to give my sons a comprehensive workout. So what we've done is we've we got juggling, which I talked about, but we also have modules for each skill area, ball mastery, dribbling, figure eights, um, um, two cones, you name it. We're trying to one V one. We're putting it in turns. We're putting it in there. And this is very personal to me because I want a product that my boys can use. And I'm really serious about this stuff, obviously. So I wanted a product to meet that met um, their standards. And I want something that will be of value to your family. And speaking of value, and I've said this in previous podcasts, and I'll, I'll say it again. If you're a coach, club director out there listening, and you want to offer your son, your um, player something uh, for free to test it out and see how it, see what it's all about. No credit card, no purchases, no nothing. Just we just want you to share it. Then reach out to me, Neil N E I L at anytime soccer dot com. Again, it's Neil N E I L at anytime soccer dot com. We'd be happy to work with you to make to help your players and families get access to the product. Um, so that they can learn what I am already seeing on a daily basis, that 10, 15 minutes of deliberate practice um, done a certain way without the parent um, having to be too involved 
It's something that increases the child's skill and then trans translates into more confidence um, and a more skillful player who actually enjoys the game more when they're in those practice and team environments. So again, check out anytimedashsoccer.com to learn more. Join the mailing list and we'll send you some free videos as well as content like this. Now, let's get on to the show. So in this show, um, it's not one where I'm going to drop a specific tip, but the opinion that I'm going to give in and of itself is um, is almost like an like a, a uh, tip. And if you've been following this show, you know I've kind of walked through what I believe a parent trainer is, and I've kind of talked about some of the things that I do with my boys and why I do them, and then you know the the role of fun and how it's not always going to be fun, but you can make it enjoyable. And then we kind of went on a journey where we looked at clubs and some of the things I look at in terms of how clubs are organized. And these are just opinions again. And then sort of what I would look for in a club again, just an opinion. And we talk about parent, we talked a little bit about parent behavior and, and, and just constantly trying to add nuance to the conversation to help our parent trainers out there who have very specific challenges help them navigate the onslaught of information that they're probably receiving. And so because I've given so much information over the last um, couple of months, I wanted to um, take a moment to allow us all to recalibrate on what, at least what I'm trying to do with my sons so that you guys can get uh uh, take some of this information and apply it to your life. So again, this show is just about just recalibrating literally what am I trying to do and recalibrating on where I think, where I focus the majority of my time and where I recommend you as a parent trainer to focus the majority of your energy um, when possible. Now, even though I'm going to offer this as an opinion and I can't tell and I would never tell someone not to do this, don't do that. You, you, you know, you have to meet your child where, where they're at. This opinion, I think, is based on some pretty sound logic. OK, so so again, so today's show is just about where should you focus? What areas should you focus? Where do I think you'll get the most bang for your buck? And then the logic that I'm using um, to support that. So when I decided to work with my sons, you know, I learned through trial and error, but also recognized pretty early on that there were some areas, and I say three or four areas that I could add the most value to their soccer development. That as a parent, I was uniquely positioned to add the most value to their soccer development. And then I also recognized that there were some areas, I'll say three or four maybe, that I was uniquely um, at a disadvantage as, at a parent, as a parent. So I said that pretty quickly. So I want to repeat so that we're on the exact same page. And here's the logic. I didn't randomly pick areas to focus on. I recognized pretty early on that as a parent trainer, there are areas that I am uniquely at an advantage. There are areas I can help my child that I am uniquely 
um, I'm in a unique position to have a very specific advantage in doing so. But also as a parent trainer, there are areas that I'm at a unique disadvantage in working with my child on. And so oftentimes when you hear people um, shy away or admonish people, rightly so in many cases, on working with their child, I think a lot of that is because the um, because the assumption is that you're focused on those areas that you are uniquely at a disadvantage. And I'll explain what those are are when you're working with your child and you're not focused on those areas that you have a unique advantage. You have a unique advantage to the point that no one else can actually even do it. You are the only person that can do this, especially when your child is really young until your child is old enough to do it for themselves. Okay, so first let's talk about those areas that I focus on. Uh, And again, the areas that I tend to focus on are the areas that I see. Number one, I have the advantage to do so. And number two, um, we'll get the most value, we'll get the most bang out of my out of my child's um, time with me when we're training. So number one is repetitions. So in a team environment, and you'll hear this often, this is not some you know amazing revelation. In a team environment, the children just don't have enough time to get the repetitions, to get the requisite repetitions, especially on relatively basic um, ball mastery uh, work or basic offensive work or basic defensive techniques. There's just not enough time in the team environment to do so. First of all, there are a lot of children. The children are at different skill areas. The coach may or may not be able to structure practice practice to maximize uh, repetitions. That may not even be what the coach is focused on based on the level of play and attention span of the kids. In addition to that, I think coaches should, this is just me observing from, from the outside, should be focused on, on what I would consider to be more of an advanced or more of the application of skills, more so than just the skill in isolation. They should be incorporating decision-making. They should be challenging the children to think out of the box. They should be doing a lot of teaching and learning and using the group setting to pull that out of the child. So, but what, so, so, so even if they were focused on getting these reps, there's just too many kids, right? And, and in addition to that, they're the scope of what a coach has to do when they're implementing an entire soccer curriculum is too broad to get those repetitions in. And even if they did want to get those repetitions in and that's what they were focused on, there's no telling, you know, the level and the caliber of coach you're going to receive. So they may not be able to do it in an efficient way. So you have all of that headwind going against the team environment uh, when it comes to getting these repetitions in. But we know that repetitions are an important and a crucial step in skill acquisition, in mastery. You talk to anyone who's really good at something, and they will tell you, yeah, I kind of did that a lot. I did it it a lot. I I shot a lot of jumpers, or I worked on my putting game, or I put it a lot, or, or I forced myself to 
kick the ball off the wall a certain amount. I mean, I, you know, most people who are good at a skill thing, they, they get a lot of reps and they tend to get a lot of deliberate practice reps as well. So again, some people will agree. Some people disagree, but I don't think you can free play yourself to a th- being masterful um, on the ball. I don't, I just don't think you can one V one yourself to having, um, supreme aerial control and first touch uh, unless it's like you know you maybe you're in the latin american country or you're somewhere where they're constantly on the ball but in especially in a western context especially in an american context um, deliberate practice probably needs to be some part of the equation in um, at some level right and then that brings me to that, my next point that, that the parent trainer is uniquely suited so to um to help their child with this is aerial control so the next area that you that i think you should be focused on is aerial control now i spend a lot of time talking about juggling as a parent trainer as a matter of fact from a business perspective i worry sometimes that people think you know anytime soccer training is a juggling product because i spend so much time talking about it but the reason I spend so much talk, time talking about it is not because, you know, area control, aerial control is disproportionately more important than the other areas of soccer and skill. It's because I, as a parent trainer, am uniquely um, in a position to help my child um, um, work on aerial control. And, and this is for a number of reasons. Number one, we live with our children for the most part. So we have... Uh, plenty of time during the day to to work on this you know and when i say during the day i don't mean like during the school day but i mean within the 24 hours that you have access to your child you know you can squeeze 10 to 15 minutes in here and there where the coach and the trainer probably just cannot do it secondly if you go to any team training environment this is something they rarely work on compared to the other stuff and i don't no judgment there because there's so much to implement and aerial control for the most part is accepted as something that someone should do on their own time. So they rarely work on it, but here's a challenge. Uh, most kids, I mean, there's some that will probably there's some listening, but most kids won't work on area control at the level that they need to, in order to master it uh, without a little bit of push from the parent early on, especially, um, with their weaker foot. And that actually brings me to the final, well, not the final, but the next area that I think the parent trainer is uniquely suited to, um, uh, to support their child on. Nothing pains me more than seeing a child, um, diligently working on juggling, maybe with a parent or by themselves and just using one foot. I shouldn't say nothing pains me more. There are a lot, a lot of things that pain me more than that. But it just um, frustrates me. I just want to walk over there and say, hey, listen, this is actually one of the areas that you guys can get the most bang for your buck. And there are going to be some people listening to me who are like, yeah, that's exactly what I do. I really, really force, and I use the F word, force my child to use their weak foot when they're working with me. And... People who are saying that they've done that can attest to this, that 
once they're once the child gets used to using that weaker foot, they won't even remember not using it. It will be so natural to them that it will be difficult for them to execute certain moves, especially when it comes to juggling or passing without using their weaker foot when it's appropriate. It just takes a lot of um, pig-headed discipline um, on the on the part of the parent to effectively force it, force the child to use that weaker foot until um, the child, until that weaker foot gets stronger. I shouldn't even, some people say don't say weaker foot. I don't don't actually think that matters. I think the reps matter, but that non-dominant foot, forcing them to use that non-dominant foot until um, they get so strong with it that it becomes second nature. And as a parent and, you know, athlete back in the day that was one thing when it came to basketball no one really taught me until it was too late and then I had to try to play catch up so when my oldest one and now my younger one started with soccer I had a relentless and still do a relentless focus on ensuring that they use their weak foot and I I, I did drop this tip maybe I'll, I'll remind listeners especially the ones who are listening to this for the first time on something I used to do with, and I still do with my boys, not as much as I used to, but I still do it occasionally with my boys when it comes to using their weaker foot with the team. So I'll drop that at the end. So, so just to summarize you as a parent trainer in the, for the most part, either live with your child or have a lot more access to your child than anyone else. This means you're in a unique um, position to focus on getting those extra repetitions that are not possible in the team environment. You are in a unique position to ensure that they're masterful in the air. This is something that teams rarely will spend enough time on. And you're in a unique position to ensure that they are two footed. And I'm actually saying this as a, um, it's encouragement to say all this stuff that you see parents and I'm not saying this is not legitimate concerns, but all of these concerns, many of them you don't have to really worry about if you get these three areas really down pat. If you got a child who is getting more reps than everybody else, who is masterful in the air, which translates also to their first touch. And who is two-footed? There are a lot of problems I see on social media that will be solved if if you focus on those three areas. Now, there's another area that's a broader area that you should focus on. And again, I can't give specific advice because it depends on your soccer environment. It depends on your priorities. It obviously depends on your child's personality and this kind of stuff. But those three focus areas, a lot of that, that they don't change, but the other teachings that I have to do or would do with my child, I don't do those because I've placed them into a, or at least I don't have to do it as much because I've placed them into a strong, productive, professional, not in the sense of making them professional, but run professional soccer club. And that's where a lot of the teaching and learning and fun and enjoyment and push and motivation, 
that's where a lot of that stuff comes from with my son. So now, even though I don't think the club thinks about it like this, we are actually working um, together. I'm delivering them a child who's technical, who's confident, who's creative, who's masterful, who uh, and well behaved and all that kind of stuff. I'm delivering that child. And then they are taking that raw talent and raw skill set and molding it, motivating it, adding discipline to it and mentorship and all the other stuff that I look for in a club. There was an occasion when I did not have all of that. And then I had to step in and supplement even more. But what I learned through trial and error that um, that was number one, frustrating to my children and number two, not the best use of my time or their time and did not move the needle as much. And that's a good segue into the areas that I don't focus on as much and where I think the parent is at a unique disadvantage, right? Not only do I not focus on these areas, I think we're at a unique disadvantage compared to other um, to trainers and, and club directors and that kind of stuff and coaches. So you've all heard the term uh, familiarity breeds contempt, and there's truth there. You're with your child day in and day out. So I have found it nearly impossible to motivate my children to want to train with me in the traditional way that people think about external motivation. Right. So there, there are ways that I motivate them, but they're motivated over the long term. They're not, and we talked about, I talked about this in a previous podcast, almost like you're motivated to um, go to work. You know, there's no particular day that you're whistling while you go to work, but over the long term, you're motivated because you, you have an assist accomplishment. You get some rewards through pay, right? So there is some, some of that, but it's also the way that the company treats you and sets your goals and, and sets you up for success and all that kind of stuff. So the way I motivate my children to train in the long term is not by giving some speech about how this is going to help them. This means nothing to them. Remember, I don't have other kids to for them to compete against doing these sessions because, again, we are a family and most of our training sessions are going to be one on one. And as a matter of fact, I don't even want that a situation where their training relies on someone else. This is an area that they control and that I control, and that's just the way it is. So I don't want to dwell on that. I just want to say I don't focus on motivating them in the way that you traditionally hear, right? My motivation is more of a long-term contract, and I hate to use that kind of word, but it is a long-term agreement that suits their personality. So I can't, listen, you don't want to be out here long and I don't want to be out here long training you. So the first thing is we're going to have some finite times. You don't want to do drills too long and I get that. So the next thing is most of it's going to be interval based. You don't want to hear me talk too much. So the next thing is most of the stuff is going to build on things you already know. and We're going to gradually, gradually build. We're going to incorporate rest days. I'm going to try my best not to lose my cool. Those are the, I'm going to be consistent and I'm going to give you um, 
a way to tell me you don't want to train today with you knowing that there's not going to be any reprisals from dad. But what I'm asking you, and this is me talking to my sons, is when we are doing it, you're locked in. There's no talking. We just get it done and we work on it. So that's kind of how I motivate them in the long run. And I'm going to do a show on on motivation and other things you can do. But for the purposes of this show, I really want to emphasize that I set an agreement up with my parent, with my boys that gets them to buy in to what we're doing, not motivate them in terms of looking forward to it. I actually think that's a fool's errand. If you're getting the repetitions in that's needed for ball mastery. Okay. So the next area, um, I think that you are at a unique disadvantage. And we talked about this. It's anything that's dealing with team where you need other kids. As a matter of fact, I use other children um, as part of my free play. So that's almost like a reward for my boys. So what I, so, so when I created my clinic, um, which we we're on a sort of hiatus because of COVID, but I created a clinic and I effectively said to my boys, well, listen, you don't have to go to the clinic or you can come, but the way the clinic is going to work is we're going to do a training session first and then we're going to have free play. And if you don't feel like going to the training session, just have your mom, your mom can drop you off during the free play part. If you don't want to go to the free play, that's fine too. And so I'm saying all that to say, I don't really try to, recreate team environments to train my sons. I think I'm at a unique disadvantage. I'm not a qualified coach in that regard. I don't want to create a system or, uh, or anything where we're relying on other people to get our touches. And I want the training um, that I do with my sons to be very efficient. And I want it to be relatively quick And so when you introduce other people to the training, um, if they're not at your children's level in this regard and not because they're not competent soccer players, it's just that you work with your children all the time. If they're not there, that slows the process up. So we do it. We we operate almost like a well-oiled machine. As a matter of fact, the main reason why older one doesn't like coming into the clinics all the time is not because he finds it hard is because he just wants to get it over with. So he's so used to us hitting the field, doing what we do and getting it over with that. He's like, man, dad, I don't want to be out here and you have to stop and teach and stop and teach and get the kids to act right. And all that kind of stuff. He's like, listen, I just want to get in get it done and be over with. Right. So again, I think you are a, a unique disadvantage to try to teach or try to create too many team type training environments unless that is severely lacking in the club environment that they're already in and my recommendation to you if that is the case is also sign them up for a rec team where you're the coach and you can train them in that environment because that's what I do with my younger one now because there are some team concepts that I want him to learn and I'm just using the rec um, structure to do that Which then brings to the next point. I think as a parent, for the most part, you are at a unique disadvantage to teach them advanced or complex concepts. 
I cannot tell you how many times I have overheard frustrated parents and frustrated children going back and forth on the training pitch because the parent is trying to either get the child to execute something complicated or get the child to understand some complicated or relatively complicated concept. I just don't think you should focus on that. I think that is a very, very risky um, endeavor. I don't think you should try to explain anything that's too particularly complicated on the training pitch. There is a caveat, and here's a caveat. I think when you're at home, assuming you do not overdo it, that you are uniquely in a position or you uniquely you have a unique advantage to go over soccer concepts with them because you live with your child. And I don't think that there's obviously nothing intrinsically wrong with that. As long again being mindful that you're not overdoing it. So I do think that's a good time, but I rarely, rarely try to go over this anything complicated you know, while we're actually doing the training session. So for example, I would rarely talk too much about a game or what he was doing in the game or try to teach anything really complex or try to do a lot of teaching of a skill that they're not that familiar with. I just don't find it. um, Number one, a good use of time. And number two, it opens up a risk for big, big, big arguments. So I'm going to wrap it up there to say, listen, there is nothing I'm going to tell you soccer wise that you quote unquote shouldn't do other than the obvious stuff. You know, I was chatting with a parent on um, Facebook who will hopefully listen to this. And and he was saying how he works on these weaknesses. He looks at the game. He looks at the training and he tries to fill those gaps. And I think I actually did that. So I'm a little hypocritical. I did that with my older son when he was just starting out. But again, that was I was fresh, maybe a little too gun ho. And it was in response to what I perceived that he was not getting in the training environment. And these are things that I perceived um, were basic. Right. So and I guess that's being condescending. Maybe they weren't. But at least for me, I, I felt like this was some basic stuff that anyone, uh, if, if I can understand it, anyone should should know. And so I did step in and work on that for a couple of years until I felt like he was kind of ready to roll. But once he got into the um, club environment that he's in now, it's almost as if the coaches are reading my mind. They're telling my son the same exact things, um, some of the same exact things that I would tell him. Not again, because we're all, you know, the great soccer guys, but some of this stuff is pretty obvious. And they do a really good job of honing into that level of uh, detail. So I'm really pleased with them. And now I definitely step back and just focus on those three areas. So that's my opinion. I would love to hear where where you land on this and um, where um, where you think uh, parent trainers should focus on or where you focus on as a parent trainer or something that I missed because I do often miss stuff. And so. Let me let me summarize again and then offer one more sort of perspective before I jump into the tip that I think I gave this tip, but I'll repeat it. 
I focus on repetitions and that means I try to get those repetitions in as efficiently as possible. That's why I'm able to do a 15 minute training session. I happen to use anytime soccer training videos now, but I didn't before. You can use whatever, but I can get I can get thousands and thousands of touches in a 15 minute um, session with my boys in part because they know the routine 20 seconds on uh, 10 seconds off or 30 seconds on 10 seconds off. They know the routine. They know the moves. We're just getting um, the reps and and then we're gradually building on those particular moves. I have a relentless focus on them using their weak foot and I have um, and I know that aerial control is extremely important. So I focus on that. So let me give you an example. We, we launched a micro session, which um, we have some juggling videos that are only five minutes. And so, again, my my boys can get nearly, um, you know, three, four hundred, maybe even five hundred touches in that five minutes. And no one other than you as the parent trainer listening to this or is going to be able to do it. So I'm going to keep beating beating that. And then you should definitely um, look to find the team environment to put them in so that you feel comfortable with what the you know the curriculum is being delivered and the knowledge is being transferred so you don't feel the pressure to try to do all that stuff because I think that's a recipe for disaster and the areas I think the parent trainer should not or at least is at a severe disadvantage um, um, in terms of focusing on it is the motivation that any type of team activities where you rely on other folks to uh, see your vision and work with work with you and your child. I just think that's a waste of time or trying to teach them any complex or try to engage in a lot of teaching and learning while on the actual soccer pitch. I think you can do a lot of that stuff at home as long as you don't overdo it. But I would strongly um, admonish you not to try to do that in the heat of the training sessions. Your kids don't want to hear your voice. You don't want to hear their voice. They're not going to meet your expectations. I have been there. You're going to get frustrated. It's not worth it. It's better to go out there and spend 15 minutes practicing something they already know than to spend 30 minutes out there trying to teach them something and you both getting frustrated. All right. So now on to the tip. And I kind of thought about this as I was, um, you know, actually recording this. So I may have given this, but. Unlike me, I know most of you guys don't listen to every word of this podcast, so it may be new to some of you guys, even if you do listen to it. When my oldest one, and I'm now starting to do this with my younger one, when they were really young and I was really focused on, they are young, but even younger, focused on them being two-footed, I, I was pretty intentional about not saying anything to them um, while they played any games, definitely. And obviously not during uh, practice, right? I just don't think that's something you should be doing. But, and I guess there's always a but, in terms of my confessions, there was one thing that I did communicate to them, and I do communicate to my younger one now during practice i don't have to do this that much at all with my older one he probably won't even listen to me anyways but when he was younger he did and and i had a simple rule for him when um when you're at these team trainings no one's gonna um 
force you to use. It, doesn't, it does not appear to me that the coaches are going to force you to use your weak foot in, in the various drills when you have a choice. So if they, if they tell you to dribble around the cones with your um, left foot, then yeah, they'll ask you to do it or right foot. They'll ask you to do it. But when there's a choice, it, it, they will allow you. And I'm not knocking them. I'm just telling you my observation. When there's a choice, then they will allow 99% of the kids use their strong foot 99% of the time. And, I don't want that for you. I want you to, when there's a choice, I actually want you to use your non-dominant foot at least early on. So that was my rule with him. If the coach told you to use your dominant foot, use your dominant foot. But when there's a choice or the coach asks you to use your non-dominant foot, then use your non-dominant foot. And the simple rule, I, I mean, the way I communicated that to him, because I didn't want to scream across the field during practice, that's not appropriate and that's not not healthy. And even when I'm the tip I'm going to give you is probably not appropriate, but hey, I'm keeping it real with you. The way I the way I did it was um, I told him, because I used to be, a, one more thing, I used to be a baseball player. And so if you're familiar with baseball, you play baseball, you know the third base coach, they give you all these signs and it's kind of funny. And kind of tells you don't swing or swing or all that kind of stuff. I'll never forget, actually. Um, one of the cardinal sins is if you got three balls and no strikes, one of the cardinal sins is to swing. And I remember one time the third base coach gave me the signal not to swing. And uh, I still swung and, and uh, fouled and got out. And he was so mad. He was like, didn't I just give you the sign? So anyways, they have these signs. You look at it, you get your sign, and that kind of tells you as the batter what to do. So I had a simple sign for my son. If you saw me tap my thigh, that means I'm seeing you use your dominant foot too much. You, when given a choice, I would, that was your reminder that you have to use your non-dominant foot. And what that looks like in practice is they'll be passing to each other. Or they'll do this passing drill or do that passing drill or do this dribbling drill or whatever they're doing. And, and they'll just use their right foot the whole time or their left foot the whole time or whatever. And so when my son would come to his water break, or depending on the training environment, how close I might say his name, and then I would tap my foot and tap my thigh, and he knew exactly what I was talking about. And that's kind of how I did it. And I did that for about two or three years because I needed him to be two-footed. And it got to the point that um, the other players thought he was left-footed. Because remember, when you got a choice, he would always use his left foot. So the other teammates, his teammates thought he was left-footed. And other parents thought he was left-footed until they until he got a little bit older and had more power with his right foot. So that is definitely not a tip I recommend for everybody at all, but that's what I did. I do recommend that you um, have a relentless focus on using that weak foot, and one great way to do that is through aerial control. I don't recommend you get involved in their practices even if they're if they're not um, doing it. But for some people, this this may work. So again, this is Neil Crawford, the soccer dad with Anytime Soccer Training. If you haven't if you haven't checked out Anytime Soccer Training, I encourage you to go to any Neil, I'm sorry, go to um, www.anytime-soccer.com. Join the mailing list and we'll send you some free um, ball mastery and juggling videos as well as uh, content like this. And if you're a coach or the club director and you like to share the product with your um 
members for free, no strings attached, then email me neil n e i l at anytime dash soccer.com. I'd love to work with you to make sure your members get this um, valuable resource. Because and why? Because I know that someone will like it and um, and spread the word. So thanks again for listening. Um, let's get better together.